0: Thank you to each one that participated in our service this evening. And uh, I don't know about where you were this afternoon, but we had a tremendous, intense storm here this afternoon. I really was wondering if our windows were going to pop. It blew so badly and the rain so hard. I'm thankful for the rain, but I'm also thankful for the protection and for your interest in gathering again this evening. Brother Darrell, I appreciated the way you began by saying to God, thank you that you're a God who seeks men and women. And I know in my own life, uh, I was doing my own thing. But God sought me and found me and uh, brought me to himself. And I think you know that the scriptures tell us no man seeks after God. We're not looking for God. No one really does. And we know that God brought us To himself. I so appreciate that. A few months ago, Pastor made a statement in his morning message, and uh, I just uh, really have been pondering that statement for a long time. He mentioned that our culture, the world in which we live, does not believe that people can change. If you're a pedophile, if you're a murderer, A thief, a rapist, or whatever you're guilty of, you're always going to be a pedophile. You're always going to be a murderer, thief, rapist, or whatever you have been guilty of doing. That's the way the world thinks. But I know that God can change people. Can you say amen to that? I don't ask for amens very often, but I believe that God really changed my life. And if you're tonight here tonight as a believer, God changed your life. And you do believe that God can change people. God can change anyone. I was thinking as we were singing tonight, the, uh, the Lord is our light and we were in darkness. And I can't help but think of the man that was born blind. Helpless. Wasn't able to see for many, many years. And God uh, took some spittle and put it on his eyes. There was nothing magical about the spit and the dirt that he used. But he touched that man and he was able to see. God can change anyone. With God, there's nothing impossible. And I rejoice tonight in my salvation. I want you to remember the change that took place in your conversion. And I use that term intentionally tonight. It's a term you don't hear used very much in evangelical circles today. That a person is converted. Uh, Conversions are not talked about. We hear people trusting the Lord, asking the Lord to be their Savior, looking to the Lord, embracing the Lord Jesus. We use all kinds of terms. I must admit, as I was growing up, the word conversion was used a lot. And I couldn't help but reflect in my home church in Bethlehem, there were some people by the name of Lasso and Tress and Flieger and all kinds of names I could go on and tell you. These people were trash collectors, garbage men alcoholics individuals that were incorrigible I mean it I can't tell you that in the 1940s when I was growing up there were so many people that came to our church and we had a church of 800 people in Bethlehem but the conversions that took place in our congregation in those days was phenomenal and these people continue to walk with the Lord in fact I know some of the boys, the Tress boys. They are the grandsons of the grandfather that came to put his trust in Christ as an alcoholic. He was a literal bum. Everybody laughed at him, ignored him, didn't want to be around him. He smelled. He was awful. He had a reputation in Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, we had the Bethlehem Steel. I never dreamt that the Bethlehem Steel would ever go belly up, go bankrupt. The Bethlehem Steel in the 1940s was humming. I may have told you this before, but I graduated with 1,100 in my graduating class in Liberty High School. And Bethlehem was booming. But in that city of Bethlehem, there were some real, real characters. But they came to put their trust in Christ and walk with the Lord. Many of them became leaders, teachers, uh, really dependable people. And their children and grandchildren began to walk with God and carried on the leadership of that church uh, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Conversion is a word that is very important in the scriptures because we read of different conversions. Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to refer to him in just a little while. But the Philippian jailer, Cornelius, Lydia, the woman at the well, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Peter. I've been meditating on the life of Rahab the harlot. I love that story. I wish I had time to talk about Rahab. She was a harlot. You know, a prostitute. A woman of the street. Had a horrible reputation. Why did the spies ever decide to go to her house and hang out? Well, that was divinely arranged and orchestrated, I can be sure. I don't think these men were messing around with that harlot. But her faith, and I just want to mention the fact that she believed long before the spies ever came to her house. She said, it is said, and she said, I believe that the God of Israel is the one that has given this land that I'm living in here, surrounded by that huge wall of Jericho. I believe this land belongs to God's people and God's people are going to have this land. And what a faith. She's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. What a conversion. I won't dwell on that, but it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, that an elder must not be a new or recent convert. That word conversion includes many, many ideas. But the one thing that I want to dwell on tonight is that uh, every believer, listen to me, you're maybe going to challenge this, Every believer in Christ has a before and after. Every believer has a before and after. You see so many ads on television these days for uh, weight loss, the before, the after. How about the uh, living, uh, the the life living style facelift? Uh, It's a facelift. You see the before and the after. We see all kinds of things such as hair pieces. You see the before, the guy that's bald, and then he has a beautiful hair piece. On, well, it's woven in. It, I don't know how they do it. Uh, I understand right now, oh, I can't believe this. I just heard it on NPR. Now, I don't believe everything on NPR, but it said that there's a certain kind of bourbon that if you rub it on your head, it is guaranteed to grow hair. Well, I'm not going to try it because I smell like a a whiskey, uh, uh, a real drunkard. A lot of churches and a lot of people do not believe in being born again. I've been visiting the Kellers, and you know they're living at Kindred Place, and I don't mean to be in any way derogatory about the wonderful uh, retirement center that they live in in uh, uh, Anvil. Wonderful care. They love the people. But there have been a number of people that have told Dottie and Homer, we don't believe that, that stuff about being born again or being converted. We don't buy that stuff. And please don't ever talk about it around here. We don't appreciate it. That is hard to understand, and I know it has Dottie and Homer a little upset. But I'll tell you, there are a lot of churches that don't believe in the new birth. Being born again. We sang about it tonight. I chose the hymns. Don't blame Jack. But uh, ye must be born again, Jesus said to Nicodemus. He didn't understand it. He said, Must I crawl back in my mother's womb and be born all over again? Of course not. He was talking about a spiritual birth. We talk about that light. When the light shined in our dark soul, there was new life. And God made us a totally different person. I'd like to, to help you see that you had a before in your life. I'm going to dwell on that tonight. Our past. We've all had a past. I know we have a number of children here tonight. And I appreciate I just heard today, this is a phenomenal thing. I just heard today that child evangelism nationally this year saw 1.2 million children come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was neat. Child evangelism is doing a great job. I'm thankful for Brother Ralph and for the ministry of CEF. I know that the children are going to say, wow, I never had a past like that. No, I'm going to address that in a few moments. And I'm thankful you haven't. But I'm going to talk about People that have had a past. And I think if you were to ask your mom or dad, your aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandmother, I'm sure they would be honest with you to tell you, yes, I had a past life. There was a before Christ in my life. And every believer, if he truly knows Jesus Christ, had to have a new birth and had to have a life before trusting Jesus Christ. oh, it varies. I'm sure many of you have different things that you could share about your past life. But I wonder if you'd turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I love this second chapter of Ephesians. And I know we're very, very familiar with the last verses. uh, Well, verse 4 to verse 10. Very familiar with those verses. And I thank God for those truths. Because I experienced them. But I wonder if you've ever paid attention to verses 1 to 3. This describes the before of all of us. If you're a believer tonight, if you're a Christian, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you were born again or you were converted. This is what you were before you made that commitment to Christ. Paul says, as for you, and not just the Ephesians, I think this is said for all of us as believers. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, I'd like to just reduce that to four different words. There are four words that I think describe all of us before we came to the Lord. We, first of all, were dead. Dead in transgressions, trespasses, and sins. I've been around a lot of death. I've seen a lot of dead people. I mentioned this morning that I was an EMT. I participated in many, many emergencies where people died. People that are dead don't respond to when they're talked to. They don't hear. They don't feel pain. They don't um, smell. I mean, they don't actually smell things. They don't uh, have the ability to sense odors. They're helpless. They don't respond. You can yell at them. You can call to them. And nothing really will happen. They can't hear you. They can't talk. They're dead. The Bible says that all of us were dead. Like Daryl prayed tonight, thank you, O oh God, that you sought us, you found us, you made us alive, you quickened us, you, you breathed in us life. And apart from Christ doing that, we'd all still be dead in our sins. A dead person has no appetite, doesn't eat feels no pain and has no remorse or sorrow for anything that happens. You get the picture. And I can't describe it any more vividly to say that before I came to put my trust in Christ, before I was converted, and that was on May 17, 1950, when I was a senior in high school, two weeks before I graduated. Before that time, I I had the best, godliest parents. My parents were perfect, not quite, but almost. I had a wonderful Bible-teaching church. I had tremendous people that were kind to me and interested in my life, praying for me. But I was dead. I had no interest in spiritual things. I had no ability to do anything that would earn some righteousness of my own. I was helpless and hopeless. And I knew it when God was dealing with my soul for many years because I knew this message. I heard it thousands of times, but I never internalized it. I never made it personal. I've had many uh, other pastors from different denominations. I'm reluctant to mention those names of the denominations. And those pastors over the years would say, oh, we used to teach the historical elements of the gospel. Jesus died, rose again, ascended, coming again. But many of these denominations over the years never personalized it. You personally must be born again. You must become alive and only God can make you alive. The second word that we see in this passage is in verse two and three. We were disobedient. We followed the impulses of our sinful nature and we were all born with a sinful nature. When David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, that doesn't mean he was an illegitimate child. My mother played around and I was born out of wedlock. No, no, he's saying I was born with a sinful nature and I was disobedient, disobedient to God consciously and unconsciously. I was not at all sympathetic with the values, the principles, the ideals of the Word of God. I was disobedient and I was following Satan. That's what really verse uh, 2 and 3 is saying. Uh, We followed the prince of this world. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We were disobedient. Actually, you sing Amazing Grace. I love that hymn. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. There are many songs that describe our condition before we were a believer. We were lost, blind, deaf ignorant. And here's another one that we forget sometimes. We were enemies of God. Enemies of God. You are at enmity with God. That means you were fighting God. I know in my own life, I knew what was right and wrong. I heard it many, many times, but I was resisting and fighting God from having control And being the Lord of my life. And being my Savior and my God. And I was truly disobedient. And that uh, manifested itself in the way I treated my parents. What I did sometimes outside of their, uh, their purview, their sight. Oh, I was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, You remember that story? Maybe some of you in high school are reading that particular uh, piece of literature. Dr. Jekyll. You were two people. I could be one person when I was near my parents because I knew that if I did something wrong, I'd really get it. I'd be deprived of something, whatever. But then when I was around the church people and uh, I was on Sunday and, and then I was good, I could do all kinds of things. But I was disobedient to God. And I knew that I had to change, but I couldn't change. I I, I wanted to change. I didn't want to live that way, but I knew that unless God would awaken my soul and do a a very unique piece of work by His grace in my life, uh, I was disobedient. I also knew that I was depraved. Now, that's a, a very fancy theological word, but in verse uh, 3b let me just read that again all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature I believe the King James says of the flesh now flesh your tissues your body uh, the elements of your body that's that's not something that is wrong God made you made you in his own image there's nothing evil about your being human But that sinful nature, you have a nature. We're all born with it. Uh, Let me ask you, parents, do you have to teach your children how to say no? (laughs) They know how to say no, don't they? You don't have to teach them. Uh, You have to really work at getting them to say yes, yes, I'll do that. But no, I don't want to do that. Well, that's our sinful nature, a, a, a rebellious nature. It does not mean that a person cannot do anything good. You know, when we talk about human depravity, everybody says, oh, think of all the philanthropic things, humanitarian things people are doing. How kind, charitable. They do all this good stuff. And they are doing good things for humankind. But it means that a man or a woman is incapable of doing anything to merit salvation or meet the standards of God's holiness. We cannot do anything spiritually good whereby we can earn, be rewarded for what we do in salvation. It is completely up to the Lord. Every part of our being is affected by sin. Our mind, our heart, and our will are controlled By a sinful nature. And that's what it means to be depraved. And all of us, before we accepted Christ, were depraved. And the last word I want you to see is in 3C. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of The wrath of God rested upon us. Would you turn to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. You probably have heard these words before, but would you look at verse 18 and verse 36? I would encourage you to circle the uh, uh, words, if you would, in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 36 of the same chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. That means that God's fullest condemnation of sin rested upon every one of us. And we deserved it. We earned that wrath because of our sinfulness. We came into this world a sinful creature. And I'm sure, I don't know about many of you, we manifested it in various ways. I'm going to be talking again to the children who perhaps have come to know Jesus Christ at the age of 5, 7, 10, 13, It doesn't matter what age. I will emphasize that God spared you of some of the things that you could have experienced. God prevented some horrible things to come into your life. But perhaps your parents, others that maybe you're praying for, some of your friends and peers, uh, kids in the neighborhood, people around you. They're not at all interested in God. They are totally in rebellion against God. They want nothing to do with God. Or they think, I can earn God's favor by doing a lot of good things and counteract all the bad things. But I trust that we'll understand that before we ever trusted Christ, before He awakened our hearts and made us alive and made us to sit in heavenly places with Him and exalted us to a high and Holy place. That's all the work of God in His grace by Jesus Christ. But before that, we were first of all dead, we were depraved, we were doomed, and we were disobedient. Now that's our past. Not very pleasant to look at, is it? The rest of the chapter says, but God in His mercy. And I want to tell you something tonight. You will never appreciate the wonder of God's grace unless you understand the condemnation of your past. Why do we take our Christian faith so casual? We really don't understand what our sin really meant. Just look at the cross. Look at what Christ suffered. He didn't suffer because He just wanted to be a hero out there. Someone to be adulated and lifted up and be some kind of a Martyr, No, he suffered for the heinous sins that you and the rest of the world performed. And when we think of what we really were and what Christ has done in His mercy and by His grace, we'll just marvel, marvel at the redemption and salvation God has given to us so freely. So freely. We have not earned it. Not at works, lest any one of us should ever boast. God's grace, how marvelous it really is. I'd like to trace, I've got to do it very quickly. I even promised uh, Brother Jack, he said, we're going to have a short meeting tonight. Very little uh, announcements, all the rest. And I want to let you out earlier. But I'd like to have you trace sometimes the many times that Paul talks about his past life. He was ashamed of it, but he used it and referred to it frequently. We read in Acts chapter 8, it says that he held or put the clothing was placed at his feet when Stephen was stoned to death. I don't know if Saul of Tarsus was present for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Some scholars believe he was, but he was there just a few years Afterwards, in the first century church there, when Stephen was stoned to death, he watched that. And he actually probably applauded and agreed to it all. We know that in Acts chapter 9, we see the dramatic conversion of this man. We find that in Acts chapter 22, he refers when he's addressing a large Sanhedrin. Uh, A very uh, authoritative body of 71 individuals, all the leaders of Israel. And when he's sharing his message, he refers to his past life, how he was a murderer, how he was a blasphemer, how he intimidated people, just loved to tantalize people, aggravate people, make them feel miserable. And then he'd catch them and put them in prison and see that they were put to death. Now, that didn't happen just once or a few times. That happened repeatedly. He delighted in doing that. He was actually honored by the Jewish community for doing it. He even thought he was doing God a favor by doing it. And he refers to his past life in Acts chapter 22. In fact, he refers to it five different times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 26, when he's speaking to King Agrippa. He again re-enumerates all the ugly stuff that was in his past life. In th- Ephesians 3, 8, Philippians 3, verse 4 to 9. But I want you to turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I want to stop there. It's getting to be almost an every week occurrence today. Sikh people. That's how it's pronounced. They're really Indians. They have just a little different kind of culture and religion, but They were in their temple worshiping. And some gunmen came in and shot eight of those people. Others are injured. You talk about being a violent man. How could these people ever do these kind of things? And yet, Paul says, I was one of those kind of men. A violent man. He's just not using idle words. That took violence to go to many of these cities and capture Christians and just ruthlessly put them to death or tantalize them, put them in prison and and do all kinds of things to to injure them and disrupt their families. He goes on by saying, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He is a trustworthy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I don't think he's just playing a grandstand. Oh, I've been an awful guy. I believe that all through Paul's life, he was haunted with his past. Oh, he knew that the past was under the blood of Jesus Christ. He was forgiven. He was cleansed. He was a new creature in Christ. He uh, wrote all about it. But yet he referred and used his past in many ways to counsel people, to address uh, uh, different religious groups at that time. He used it in the Corinthian church. I'm only going to refer to it, but in chapter 6, he goes on and says to the Corinthian church. Now, he writes this to the church so it's public information. He says to this church, many of you were immoral. You were homosexuals, lesbians. You were drunkards. You were vile people. And he said, such were some of you. Well, he names it right out front. Now, this congregation must have known who these people were. Yes, it was their past. But he brought before them their past. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart and redeemed. Praise the Lord. You're different. You're you're really different today. But he referred to the fact that they had a past. How about you? Have you ever reflected on your past? No, we'd like to forget it. I wanted to say that we must have balance in this. Uh, The Scriptures do tell us forget those things that are behind uh, don't dwell in the past. I'm a new creature. Old things have passed away. All have become new. But you know, if we don't somehow remember our past, one great leader said, you'll repeat it. And the past is something that helps you to understand how unworthy, how how we do not deserve the salvation we enjoy. And it should develop praise and gratitude and thankfulness. And oh, it ought to be just expressed time and time again. I think most of us, when we begin our prayers, we say, thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Oh, may it always be precious. May it be so real. May it be something we don't forget. that It's way, way back there. I don't have to worry about it. But oh, Lord, I know what I once was. I am not what I ought to be, I am not what I want to be, but I'm thankful I am not what I used to be. And I'm sure that many of you tonight can say praise the Lord to that. It is important to reflect on our past. Uh, We used to sing a chorus years ago. I haven't heard it. I, I don't see Ethel. Oh, yes, yes, there you are hiding behind Tracy. Uh, remember the song we used to sing years ago? Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. If you know it, things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things I loved before have gone away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. I remember there was a couple in our church in Sunbury. Stan and Renee Hovenstein was their name. They were really into racing. I mean, he built his own car. Every Saturday night they traveled from Sealand's Grove to Willow, I don't know all the racetracks. They were really into racing. And boy, they had a lot of friends, and they would stay out till about four or five o'clock in the morning, come home drunk. And they really lived that full lifestyle. I will never forget when Renee and Stan Hovenstein came to put their trust in Jesus Christ. What a change in their lives. I'll never forget one of the things they said to me. Boy, we had lots of friends. But you know what? Our friends don't like to be around us anymore anymore. Because we're always talking about the Lord Jesus, His goodness, and what changes have taken place. And we can't live that lifestyle. We can't, you know, we want to be in church. We want to be in the house of God to hear God's Word preached and taught. And you can't be out to 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning being drunk and then be in church the next day. It just, it can't happen. And my God, use that couple. I I can't begin to tell you the people that their lives touched. Now they got new friends. Oh, they got lots of friends at church and Christian believers in the community. But my, what a change in their lives. They were so grateful. Think about what Christ saved you from. Not only what he did in your life, but what he actually saved you. Perhaps many of you were saved as a child. I thank the Lord for that. I don't want to ever minimize that. And you don't have to have an ugly, sordid past just to appreciate God's grace. But children, remember that when Christ saved you, He spared you from some of these ugly, ugly things. I don't want you to get proud. I don't want you to feel like you're better or superior in any way. But some of you... Think about some of the choices that your peers and friends made. Maybe when you became a Christian, they turned away from these things. Think of some of the choices that made, they made and where they are today. I was going to say this for the end. A year ago, I received a telephone call. And it was David Felker. You don't know him. He was one of my buddies, one of my 12 buddies that I had in Bethlehem. I had 12 buddies, and everyone was over six foot. I hate basketball, Evan. I hate basketball because they would play keep it away from Heller. And I had to run, fight, scrap, do anything just to get that basketball. I can't compete in basketball, I'm too small. But David Felker, I haven't seen or talked with him in 50, probably 58 to 60 years. He went to Lehigh University. Got his Ph.D., had a tremendous job and vocation. He lived a half a block from me. We buddied around all the time. Messed around. I never got into real trouble. I probably should have been arrested a number of times for some of the things we did around Halloween. That was our time to really play pranks on people. But uh, David Felker called me said, I, I had no idea where you were. I found you on the Internet. I'm glad you called, Dave. And we talked about his education, vocation, the the neighborhood, his family. I remember his parents, we'd go up in his bedroom, and we used his bed as a trampoline. Well, his bed had one of these um, uh, uh, fabric slats, not like we have wooden slats, and one day He and I were using the trampoline and boom, the whole thing fell apart. His mother came up. What are you guys doing? And boy, she was, oh man, I got out of there in a hurry because I thought you were going to really eat me up. But Dave, we talked about a lot of things. And then David said, Leroy, I'll never forget the dramatic change that took place in your life in 1950." May 1950. He said, You were a character. And I was. I was the daredevil of the neighborhood. I'd do anything crazy that the guys would tell me to do. And I'd get, I'm not, a, I'm not proud of that. He said, You were an amazing guy. And your life really changed. And I thought, when you told me you were going into the ministry, you must, something's really wrong with you. You're crazy. And he said, you're still in the ministry? I said, yeah, 59 years. He said, my wife died three years ago. I've been in my second marriage. Had a problem with alcohol. All kinds of trouble. I, I shared Christ with him. I pled with him to do something about his faith and acknowledging Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I'll think about it, Heller. And um, we had a nice conversation. But he remembered the change in my life. Now, I only share that, not to brag about it. But if there's a change in your life, there's a lot of accountability with that to live up to that change. It wasn't just a once and done kind of thing. Turn over a new leaf and just say, oh, this is great. you got to live a different life. And I knew it. And I did not want to be a phony. I did not want to be someone just going through the motions. And I'm grateful for that telephone call. I pray for David Felker. Four of my buddies have died. He told me about the status of the rest of the guys. You don't want to hear it. I just marvel. I marvel that God chose me to be one of His servants. I certainly don't deserve it. And I shared with you my past. Probably all of you as believers, you do have a before. You do have a past. Think about your potential to sin. I many times thought if I would have been allowed to continue in the way I was living, I know, I know, I eventually would be in big trouble. I'm so grateful for godly parents. Many a night I'd come home disobedient, come in at 11.15. My parents said, you've got to be in 11. I'd just defy that, come in at 11.15. Uh, when I was younger, my mom would paddle me. She'd deprive me. But the thing that really got to my soul was many a night when I came in disobedient to my parents' re- uh, requests. My mother parked herself right at the door with a chair. She put the chair there and she was kneeling in prayer. And I had to crawl over my mother's legs in defiance. Mother, go to bed. You don't have to wait up for me. Oh, but I knew that my mother was praying for me. I knew I was breaking their heart. But I thank God for the values. Oh, I thank God almost every day my wife and I talk about our parents, the values, the principles, the the modeling they did for us taught us many things. Some of the the things that we enjoy come from our parents, from our church. And you can identify with all of that. Look around. Reflect on where you were and where you are today. It should produce a great amount of praise. I want to close by suggesting one more thing. I don't know if you've ever told your children about your past, I remember one day I was in my early 20s. I believe I might have been 19 or 20 years of age. I I was so busy. I, I was just occupied with myself. I said to my dad one day, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? And he shared this story with me. Ethel, I'll pick on you again. He said, my father was 45, 46 years of age. And we heard about the Mennonite Brethren in Christ Church in Bethlehem. That was our name before 1959. And he said, my father heard about this church, but he was a staunch German Lutheran, attended the Makeda Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. He went religiously. He was a very important man in that German church. But one day, F.M. Hodel. Ethel, do you remember F.M. Hoddle? I remember him. I am old enough to remember F.M. Hoddle. Little man, probably no bigger than I am. Little rounder than I am. A bald head. But I enjoyed this man. F.M. Hoddle came out to my grandfather's farm. He was out uh, working in the fields. F.M. Hoddle went out in that field. He pursued my grandfather and he presented the gospel to him. I don't know the dynamics of what brought conviction and, and a change in my grandfather's heart. But my grandfather got saved right out there. He knelt down in the dirty old dirt and field and he asked Christ to come into his life. And my father said from that time on, my father began to read the Scriptures, memorize the Scriptures, began to pray for me. Uh, my dad said I was in my early 20s when I came to trust Christ, but he said, what a change in our home. What a change in my father. And as a result of that conversion, my dad was subject to hearing the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit brought conviction upon my father and my grandfather. And I'm so grateful for that. But the point I want to make is I probably would have never known some of those things if I wouldn't have simply asked my father, have you told your children About your conversion. Your past. Oh, you can share some things. As you can say, I know that my past is under the blood. I'm thankful for my past. I'm thankful that it is past. I'm a new person. A new individual. But I'm thankful for that past that I can use many times. I can share it with people in my witness for Christ." Not for sensationalism, but to show the comparison, what the grace of God can do in a person's life. And you know, don't be ashamed of sharing your past with some people as you have opportunity. Scripture says always be ready to share with someone the reason, the explanation for your hope. What's going on in your life and your relationship to Christ? Share it with someone. And it got to begin with your past for them to understand the contrast and the grace of God in their lives as well. Write it down. Write down your testimony. It will help your family. And I will say it will help your pastor. When he has that responsibility of conducting your funeral, he'll know something about you. Now, you know, your pastor knows you, but does your pastor know anything about the tremendous work of grace in your life? about how you were translated out of a kingdom of darkness into His marvelous light. Do you remember your before? Write it down. Even as Joshua said to the people there, you know, the kids are going to ask us what these stones are all about. Well, you want to put those stones there so that you can tell them we crossed the Jordan River. You won't believe that you can cross that Jordan River On dry land, and we all, one million of us, I can't even imagine one million people being together and walking across that Jordan River as well as the Red Sea. You're going to be able to tell your children what a marvelous thing God has done for you. I thank the Lord for His great grace. Amen. I was very weak. I know God has saved you. And uh, may you, I, just, I don't want to dwell on the past. God doesn't want us to live in the past. But I think it's valuable to remember, why do we have communion? Jesus said that as God's people, we are to gather and remember what Christ did. Why do we have Memorial Day? To remember those individuals that laid down their lives for our liberties and freedoms. God said to the people of Israel, Remember the Passover. Never forget those days when you were in Egypt. What it was like under those slave taskmasters. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt. He had the death angel pass over you so you could have eternal life. And you have eternal life tonight because... Of the true Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, that offered Himself for your sin. Oh, may we thank the Lord over and over again that we do have a past, but we're not in the past. The past is under the blood. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us, never to be remembered against us anymore. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We marvel that you have even chosen us, called us, even as Jeremiah. I'm a child. I I can't speak. Uh, We're so inadequate. But Lord, you are our adequacy. You are our sufficiency. I thank you for your people. I know they love you. They love your word. They love their families. I thank you for our children. That you have spared many of them from ever experiencing some of the ugly things that are in our world today. Lord God, just give us an appreciation, a new appreciation for all that you have done for us. We ask it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Brother Jack, would you lead us in a few stanzas of what a wonderful change in my life.